0: Jeremy McMahon, meditation teacher, Tibetan Buddhist scholar, and audio engineer. And welcome to Meditating with Friends, a podcast where we explore meditation through friendly conversation. Each episode includes a guided meditation that you are invited to join. If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in working with me one on one to help deepen your meditation practice, send me a message on Instagram at jeremymindfulness.com. Out. enjoy the show hello everybody it is your friend uh, Jeremy McMindfulness here with another episode of meditating with friends where everybody meditates uh, so today uh, we're talking to my guest and good friend, uh, Kurt Santana. Uh, Kurt is a creative. Uh, he has a wonderful uh, Twitch channel that you should all definitely check out. Uh, the name is Curtney uh, Love, right? On Twitch? Yes. Yes fantastic name um and uh he's i he's actually had me on his uh twitch show uh a few times um and uh so i'm happy to have him on my show so welcome kurt how are you doing today i'm doing well happy to be here awesome so uh of course here with uh talking about meditating with friends um you know we do generally focus on the meditation side of things but you know always open to see where the conversation will lead but why don't we just jump into it um so kurt do you meditate i do meditate all right that's a good step in the right direction (laughs) uh now uh what type of meditation do you do i would i say perform I, i i i use transcendental meditation cool and uh yeah, transcendental meditation is uh really popular. Um and it's funny, I was listening to a podcast with a guy talking about mindfulness meditation like a couple years ago and he was like, "Oh, you know, I I never hear anybody everybody talks about mindfulness meditation and I don't hear, uh, you know, my, many people talk about transcendental meditation anymore. Like that was really big in the '70s and the '80s. And I was like, this guy obviously does not hang out with uh, hipsters that like David Lynch, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems to me that transcendental meditation is, you know, still still around and definitely still kicking, particularly in you know, like young, uh, you know, young creative circles, right. Um it's funny that you mentioned the <clears throat> the hipsters who love
1: David Lynch because when I found out about transcendental meditation um it was from the David Lynch Foundation and <laughs> it's a funny story because I was uh going to Bonnaroo uh from like 2010 to like 2018 me and my dad would go every summer oh wow and I think it was in 2012 that I saw on the schedule that there was uh, hot coffee and donuts with the David Lynch Foundation. And I was oh, like, oh, yeah. this is fun. This might be like a Twin Peaks sort of like screening or something like that. Because I was familiar with David Lynch, but I had never watched any of his works. Um, so I went and lo and behold, it was actually a advertisement for Transcendental Meditation and what the David Lynch Foundation does about bringing TM to places all across the world. And I I loved it conceptually. I love what they had to say about Transcendental Meditation, this sort of metaphor that your mind is an ocean Mm. and all of your ideas are bubbles that pop at the top. And if you want to get to pure consciousness, you're going to have to get all the way down to the bottom of the ocean. Mm, And the way you can do that is by uh, using a mantra. And it just seemed like this, and that would would have been my introduction to meditation. I was not familiar with it before. I was maybe 18 at the time when I learned about transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had the same concept of meditation that maybe someone who's very reluctant about it would, would understand it and be like, oh, you have to sit down, be quiet for a long hour. You have to quiet the mind. And for me, being a very extroverted person with a lot of energy at the time, it just seemed impossible to me. (laughs) So when they told me about this sort of tool and this mantra that you can use to silence your mind, I was like, oh, that's my ticket. That's my ticket out of this crazy head space that I'm in. Mm -hmm. So uh, at the end of the, I guess conference, a little (laughs) meeting that they had uh, They said, if anybody has any financial difficulties, send us an email. Uh, We'll send it to David. And if David likes your letter, then we'll go ahead and give you a scholarship. And that's what I did. Um, I sent the letter saying that I was just starting college, uh, that I'm from a low income family. And as a person of color, I have a lot of things to worry about that not necessarily everybody else has to. Um, So I'd love this practice in order for to make myself a better student and a better individual um i'm told that david lynch read the letter um but the cost of the classes uh recovered in full so i started taking classes here in chicago and that was the summer right before i went into
0: college so i think it was like perfect timing for me yeah that's awesome and well god i mean i wish i could Write something that David Lynch has read. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's pretty awesome, and uh, yeah, and that's another thing. And I'm really glad you brought it up. I was going to ask you about, um, you know, the financial aid for tra- transcendental meditation because that's actually, you know, a criticism often of transcendental meditation that you hear that it's oh, it's you know, it's too expensive, um, and you know, yes, it is. Do you know how much it costs generally? Yeah, it's several hundred dollars. I mean, right. I don't
1: have prices off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, I think I, lo- I could I Google like, it for you. No, uh, yeah, I think. Don't worry about it. I looked it up, and it's like I think it's like around nine hundred dollars. Like it's close, close to a thousand. Then it went up.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I thought <laughs> I thought it was
0: somewhere around six to seven hundred dollars. Um, yeah, and like I don't know. I again, like people people often rag on transcendental meditation for that, but clearly, as you've mentioned, you know, there is the David Lynch foundation, which like, that's their whole goal, right? Is to, um, you know, give scholarships to people to take the transcendental meditation class, correct? Yes. And they had a mission.
1: Um, and I don't want to make it seem like I am a what do you call it an ambassador for the david lynch foundation because i haven't i haven't talked to a representative from them in a very long time but um for a long time they were trying to get students to learn transcendental meditation in school but when parents found out that these children were offering or giving offerings to maharishi yogi everyone was very much like oh you're throwing religion you're indoctrinating my children Get these get these kids get these found get this foundation out of my school.
0: Yeah, I've read about the history the history of transcendental meditation is fr- pretty interesting to me. Um and like a good it's kind of like a good case study, I think, for like just um I guess kind of more Eastern esoteric ideas coming into Western culture. Mm-hmm. Um and the one thing that i really think is interesting about transcendental meditation and uh is that the way that they market it and that they've always marketed it as being like it's really easy you know you can um achieve states of bliss you know on your first time meditating um which i think is good because like you know it encourages people to do it, <laughs> you know, you know, right. like, you know, telling somebody, Oh, this is the hardest thing in the world. And they actually like helped shift that from my understanding, like the Western perception on meditation and that it, before TM, it re- was really like considered, you know, this very hard like thing that like you would just never, ever really do. But then TM comes like, mm-hmm. no, everybody can do it. Um, so I think, I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, that definitely resonates with me, the whole easiness to it. And I think like, (laughs) I don't know if any TM diehards are going to get mad at me for saying this, but I think even if you don't do it right, you still can achieve that sort of blissful feeling. (laughs) Because uh, when I was working as a camp counselor, um, I noticed that these children, I say children, they weren't that much older, younger than me, but they were like ages from 10 to uh, 14 Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll call them campers. The campers um, were going through things that I thought only individuals like over the age of like 18 or like 24 were going through, you know. And I noticed that, wow, like these campers could definitely use a sort of meditation or a way to just like calm their minds. Um, So I did a sort of like exercise with them where I – Spent so much time trying to write down these nonsensical words, which is essentially what your mantra is. Your mantra is going to be a word that has no affect, produces no sort of thoughts into your head. It's Mm -hmm. a word that you can repeat over and over again to silence your mind. So I went ahead and took a bunch of sheets of paper and tried to write nonsensical words that wouldn't produce any sort of affect to anybody. And I gave it to them, and I was like, hey, go ahead and repeat this into your head until you have no thoughts in there. And then as soon as the thought pops up, go ahead and follow that thought, and then follow it until it's sort of completed. And um, I'll bring you all back once 20 minutes is over. And that's pretty much a a basic run-through of how TM works, and when i finished the process for them none of them actually had a mantra none of them made the offering to maharishi none of them done the training and how to do breathing but after the exercise was over they were like you're kidding me that was 20 (laughs) minutes that Mm. felt like five minutes and i was like yeah like sometimes if you get lost in your consciousness it'll Mm. feel like just a moment." Yeah, you know, I think once you get into that sort of rhythm or into that place of, like, pure consciousness, like, time isn't there. Time's not there ruling your life, you know? It's like, you can have a timer set because, like, you have, like, however many, like, minutes before you have another appointment, before you have work. Because people do, when you learn TM, they say, like, the morning and the midday is probably the best for you to do, TM, you don't okay. want to do it right before bed because if you're in a deep state of consciousness, like you might not wake up. <laughs> you, might, you might have uh, sleep paralysis, which is just terrifying. So um, <laughs> it's good to either do it at the beginning of the day or the midday um, because sometimes the practice itself can make you sleepy. You know, it can make you realize that um, that this deep thought that you're going through is actually uh, not exhausting, but it's hard
0: work. Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, your mind uses up a lot of energy, um, even when you're just sitting there, you know, um, and especially if it's worrying, and like, you know, you're thinking and thinking and thinking and can't stop. But that's really awesome about the camp counselors and how you were able to, you know, take what you learned from TM and like, kind of apply it in this new format to help them out. Because like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, just for me and, you know, coming, being on the outside of TM, it's like, you know, oh, you got to do the course in order to even like consider trying to do it. But it's really awesome that you, yeah, you did figure out a way to like make, uh, make it available to these kids and, uh, campers <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that they really resonated with it. That's, that's really super cool. Um, yeah. I did want to ask just cuz I've always been curious when you uh do the transcendental meditation course like how how long is it like how many days does it last and could you like mm. explain kind of like what what that process is like you know without giving away your secret mantra <laughs> Yeah of course um it was a I believe a 2 month process so it was about uh oh, wow.
1: a week class um, that would come to you every week. And so I would say it was eight classes in total. Wow. Um, and a, a lot of it was about um, breathing and like mm-hmm. the breathing exercise and calming your mind and um, getting to that place where your surroundings don't affect you as much. You know, when people say that you're in pure consciousness and like no outside noises should be able to disturb you. I haven't, Quite achieved that yet, but during mm. during my classes, I was definitely able to be, um, what's the word? I wouldn't say outside of my body, but like mm. not. It didn't feel like I was clo- like like um, trapped in my corporal form. It did mm-hmm. feel like I was a, I was a consciousness and not just a person, like embodied. Mm. Um, but yeah, the classes were, were really chill. It was just in someone's apartment um it was a a couple um and the uh i remember i had to actually push the dates back because i was smoking a lot of weed during the time and they were like (laughs) you need to be substance free Mm -hmm. um in order for this training to work Hmm. um they didn't mention whether or not i needed to be substance free once i started doing it so (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah that was that was interesting um Huh. And yeah. it was it was it was definitely helpful to be sober during the fact. I mean, I wasn't just trying to get high right before I went to class or anything like that, but I think right. like having a having a clean body um before the process definitely helps with it. And I mm-hmm. wouldn't say that it's 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 hurtful towards your meditation practice, but um, you know, knowing what's going on in your body is one less thing to worry
0: about once you're meditating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, I always talk about how meditation is so much about the body. And I mean, you bring up an interesting thing about, uh, you know, uh, drugs are what we call, uh, intoxicants, um, in the Buddhist tradition. And there's a whole, you know, various, uh, ways to interpret because traditionally, Buddhism t- teaches no intoxicants. Um, and, you know, what, what does that actually mean? And it's, of course, it's been interpreted like a million different ways um, <clears throat> throughout, uh, uh, throughout history. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, going into these situations into these classes, you know, with a clean mind, and body is is a good a good thing and I also think you know this is something that uh I guess it's kind of hard to explain but like I think there is definitely like a power to the fact that you had like a teacher um and they and that they kind of made it for my understanding too like in particular when they give you the mantra like it's kind of like a ceremony right yeah Yeah. So like, yeah, I'll never forget it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it sounds probably like (laughs) it had a profound effect on you. And like, I think that's something, you know, for a lot of people, you know, when they meditate, uh, or when they come to meditation, they're like, well, you know, I'm just going to use an app or, you know, I'm going to find somebody on YouTube, or uh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to Jeremy's podcast. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But like, you know, there is something to be said about that direct connection between like a teacher and a student when it comes to meditation. Uh, I definitely agree. Yeah. And could you, I mean, again, without like getting too personal or, um, you know, again, don't like say any details that give away the secrets and the power. Um, but could you talk a little bit about the mantra receiving ceremony?
1: Yeah. So you're going to need um, to make a little bit of an offering to Maharishi Yogi. Mm. And um, your mantra is whispered in your ear. And I think like once you're in the room with this, you know, this person who created this, this practice for you to embody your true self or I guess your true consciousness mm-hmm. really puts you in a, in a nice state of ease. and. um it really feels like you're getting bestowed a power that, you know, everyone kind of wanted it to take away from you. And by I mean like everyone, I meant like the capitalist society, just like how everything works. Because right. day to day, you know, everything is telling you how to be something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that something contributes to society. But when you're alone with yourself and you want to enjoy yourself and, Um, you don't feel like, and I know like creatives get this all the time. You're just like, I'm not contributing to society, so I'm not actually a person right now. Right. And be like, well, that's the complete misconception of like reality. (laughs) Yeah. So it felt like, yeah, this is a, this is a true form of being that was being bestowed upon me where I can access this person that is, um, outside of all of these social indicators and, um, you know, cultural norms. Um, so it was a very powerful moment. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I can't, I can't remember the specific things that you need to offer. I think it was like one root vegetable, some flowers <laughs> and, uh, and, and the like. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, I think I was in there. Yeah. You go in there by yourself. So I, there was another person who was waiting to do the ceremony as well. Mm-hmm. Um, And I remember us like being in the same room with one another, just being so excited. Yeah. Like we weren't like giddy, like our, like our feet weren't just like shaking on the ground. It was more of like, like almost like we, we've achieved a sort of bliss knowing that we're going to be all right after this. And, um, yeah. And I, and anytime I, I do practice meditation, TM, I do feel like I'm going to be
0: all right. Hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. And, It kind of reminds me a lot about my initiation experience um, when I was initiated into the Sakya lineage um, of Tibetan Buddhism. And again, it's just like something that I think is so the idea of a ceremony or a ritual like that. I mean, we have some of those rituals in our culture but like Mm -hmm. nothing or in Western culture, Western American culture, but like, you know, nothing really quite like that. Um, and it is, it is powerful and it is profound and like, I don't know. I mean, you can be cynical about it. Um, but if you're not cynical about it, I think, yeah, it can be pretty profound. And I don't know. I've just been thinking a lot about like, rituals lately and how and like magic i've actually been getting a little bit more into like western occult magic and sort of like trying to figure out what that's about because i kind of just don't know what it's about right (laughs) i i I watched one episode of midnight gospel about magic and i'm like
1: i'm intrigued tell me more
0: yeah actually i didn't know that's kind of like where i got it from and i actually listened to a podcast i've been listening to duncan trussell's podcast and um i li- i listen to that guy uh jason Louvre who's on midnight gospel and i really like him a lot and i started listening to his podcast now and i got um the genesis peorage book um uh the psychic bible are you familiar with Genesis P-Orge at all? I am not,
1: no. Oh. I love this idea of just like us like trading different ways to like meditate and like. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, this is great. I mean, no, this you know, you got to try this, yo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, new yeah. consoles dropping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, uh, yeah. You think mindfulness is where it's at? Well, check out. Uh, Western sigil magic and then that will blow your socks off um I haven't tried the sigil magic yet uh but Genesis is or was um <clears throat> she passed away um early like March last year um but uh Genesis was the singer of Throbbing Gristle um this band from england in the late 70s early 80s that invented industrial music and to make it you know connected to me and you kurt uh genesis had a show at the rubin uh museum in 2016 Whoa. um of all her artwork and it was super cool super crazy um but anyway so like you know, all these people that were like into magic and ritual and like, it was like, what's this about? But I think I'm thinking now about like ritual in terms of it being like sort of psychological tricks (laughs) that you play on yourself and Mm -hmm. not to say like those tricks don't work. Like I think those tricks can have power, but like, it does just give you like these rituals, I guess, just provide a framework for you to sort of like shift your perspective pretty quickly if that makes sense. Like the inauguration? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like stuff like that, you know. Um yeah. I mean, yeah, so I don't know, This is something I've been thinking about uh when mm-hmm. it comes to uh to all this whole like meditation and you know, actualization and and all that good stuff. Mhm.
1: Yeah, but to circle back to what you were saying though about how um the, the ceremony can be meaningful. It can also be very jarring. Like, that's the thing that I've, I've learned where it's hmm. like, if you're, if you're coming from someone who only experiences Christianity, Western religion, and you see someone going through the ceremony, especially your child, you're thinking, oh, this person's offering up like devotion to a deity. And that's not what it is. Like, it's just acknowledging what this person is passing down to you. And right. like, <laughs> it just it just felt it felt so normal, but it was like of course i, I acknowledge the fact that we were in somebody's like den this is of someone's apartment like this yeah. isn't a religious space, <laughs> you know, but they did set up this sort of like faux altar, yeah in order for us to you know give offerings to and it just it felt. I felt like why don't why don't we just do this in regular life where i like I not set up an altar to somebody but just like give an offering to somebody for everything everything they have given to us, you know, mm. and make it a sort of ceremony. I think the ceremony I mean like it's like birthdays, you know, it's like or like at Thanksgiving when you go around the table and say what you're all thankful for. It's like yeah. those those moments actually means mean something to people and provide a sort of catharsis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think Yeah, I think the the idea of offering gets, like, really misunderstood in Western culture. And, you know, because we all have this, you know, the stories of, like, you know, the crazy bad gurus who, like, are are cult leaders, you know, and these religious people that take everybody's, like, possessions. And also, you know, like, this is a stereotype of, like, Eastern religious practice, like, being all about giving up your worldly possessions, you know um mm. like but couldn't be me what what was that couldn't be me couldn't yeah be me. yeah couldn't be me yeah i mean <laughs> if that was it i was you know like <laughs> don't take away my synthesizers <laughs> <laughs> my most prized possessions uh but anyway um the offering like yeah i think it's really misunderstood and i like to think of it as really is like forming a karmic connection between you and whatever you're offering, uh, whatever you're making the offering to. So like, you know, you're making an offering to Maharishi, you know, that's forming a karmic connection. Uh, if you're making an offering to the Buddha, you know, that's forming a karmic connection. Or to, in like Tibetan Buddhism, to a specific deity, that's like forming this karmic connection and it's a reciprocal thing it's like well you know i gave you something so Mm -hmm. you know give me something back and um like yeah it's and a lot of the time you know it's it's never ideally with for offerings like it's never like making an offering that's like too much than you can afford to which i think Mm -hmm. is the important thing to keep in mind and so like when i was uh on this retreat again um we had the opportunity to have private a private audience with sakya trichin uh my guru um and it's it's always funny how these private audience things happen in tibetan buddhist culture it's like <laughs> it's not like publicly announced that he's receiving private p- audiences uh, but it's sort of just like a rumor that kind of gets like spread around and you're like, Hey, did you hear <laughs> Saki Trinchin's offer, you know, having private audiences this afternoon, like I, show up I at this that. time and like, maybe, maybe you can come and see him. And so, you know, we got the word and I went and whenever you meet just, you know, <laughs> FYI, whenever you meet a Tibetan Lama or have a private audience with them, uh, traditionally what you do is you make an offering, uh, of money. But what you do is you put the money in an envelope and you give it to them. Um, because that way, you know, uh, they don't know how much money you're giving them essentially. So you can give them as much as you want or as little as you want, but the point is, is a symbolic gesture of giving. So I had like 11 bucks in my wallet. (laughs) Uh, So that's what I offered. And I just remember being in the waiting room. Uh, You know, I had my little envelope sealed up. And uh, Sakyatrnshin has a lot of Chinese uh, followers. And so there's these Chinese people there. And they were just like throwing like hundreds of dollars in their envelopes. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, Fat Choi, yeah, I hope you get rich." Yeah. I mean, you know, these Chinese people, this was in upstate New York, you know, and it was a a two week. I did the two week version. The whole thing was actually 6 weeks. So it's like mm. uh you know, these people spent a lot of money to come here. Um, And you know, they had to stay there for a long time. And that brings me actually back to talking about the price uh, of transcendental meditation. Is like, you think transcendental meditation is expensive? Like, you should see the amount of money that people drop um mm-hmm. during like these Tibetan uh, Buddhist retreats. It's insane. You know? Right. And the classes aren't
1: the the classes are the beginning. Like you can go on retreats, and these retreats are like thousands of dollars as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always like ways to like, I guess, continue your education when it comes to the meditation practice. But I mean, you're always learning new things every time you do meditation. I feel like yeah. I'm always learning about the best way to sit down, the best place to actually meditate, um, breathing patterns, how. The mantra will like change over time, because um, that's I, I think that's a specific that um, I'd like to mention about TM too. Is that like when you repeat the mantra in your head, like it's always, it's always a good thing if it like it changes shape. And what I mean by that, like if it, you if you elongate your mantra, and mm. if you, it actually becomes a different word, that's totally fine. Like, and that's actually like just allowing your head to just like use that mantra to clear up some space. And um, yeah. And then like another thing too, is that like it's a very active process, this thing of meditation. So it's like if anybody is feeling that um, they can't sit still for a very long time, don't worry because you're going to be rocking back and forth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I remember meditating with a friend of mine in college and, um, they were very, you know, uh, they, they weren't very, um, knowledgeable on how any sort of meditation works. So I just gave them, uh, the mindfulness exercise while I was doing TM and they finished before me. Um, and they were just sitting there watching me until I finished. And when I opened my eyes back up and I saw their expression, I was a bit worried uh, I was like, is everything all right? And they said, I was really scared because you were shaking. You were moving back and forth, and I thought you were being possessed. <laughs> and I was like, well, I was being possessed a little bit by my own thoughts. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point to bring up, too, is, and, you know, gets to my whole thing about like the physicality of meditation and how you can yeah i mean weird physical stuff in your body can happen when you meditate whether it's like shifting back and forth i mean i i often feel like you know muscles kind of releasing and relaxing Mm -hmm. Um, but i think that's a really important point to keep in mind and I actually yeah somebody asked me that recently too about uh the swaying back and forth they were like i noticed that i'm swaying back and forth when i'm meditating is like that a problem and i'm like No, I don't think it's so Mm -hmm. good a problem unless you're like, you know, trying to do Zen. If you're like in a Zen uh, meditation temple and, you know, uh, there's a guy walking around with a stick and he's going to whack you every time you slouch over a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. then it, then it's not so good. But, (laughs) but if you're just at your home and you're, you rock a little back and forth while you're meditating or like Mm. have some, body movement I think you know I think that's totally fine
1: yeah and if you're like worried about that um, sit in a chair upright I know this is like sacrilege to a lot of meditation practitioners but I don't do the crisscross applesauce <laughs> Yeah, um, I have to sit upright um, and that's also the way that I read books too and and do a lot of my work is just like sitting upright in a chair with my arms like outstretched So that I'm just sort of planted, Um, and when I do when I do cross-legged, I actually like constrict a lot of the blood flow for me. So it just doesn't. It feels like there's pressure building within my legs. So it's like that's that's another thing I have to worry about while meditating. So I do the. I just sit down on a nice chair. If it has arms, even better.
0: Yeah, I think that's important, you know, in terms of like the posture, like sitting in a chair. I mean, I'm sitting in a chair right now. I'm about to meditate sitting in a chair. (laughs) So I I think it's totally fine. And at the Rubin, too, I guess we should say we didn't even uh, really explain, but we actually met each other working at uh, the Rubin Museum of Art in uh, in Manhattan. Um, And it's for those of you who don't know, uh, it's a Himalayan art museum. So a bunch, you know, just Buddhist art from Tibet, Bhutan, Nepal, uh, India, Tibet. So um, awesome place. Uh, And you were involved in the meditation program there, right?
1: Yeah, I was running the meditation Wednesdays as sort of like a stage manager.
0: Yeah. Um, And so I would uh, often lead, well... Not often, pretty much every time, <laughs> would lead a tour after the um after the meditation class where we'd go and look at the artwork that was featured um in that class. And it was a really nice program and you know, it was uh it was cool for me because I got to have like the same people would come on my tours every week and I was uh you know, could kind of develop this like ongoing conversation with them uh, about the artwork it was really cool in a way that you can't really do with like, you know, one-time museum visitors. But, uh, anyway, yeah, it was, it was a great program and I'm not sure. I think they've switched to doing it online now, um, mm-hmm. during, uh, the pandemic, but anyway, it's, uh, it's, uh, not I'm sure it's not quite the same because it's, I don't know, there is really something to meditating in a big group, you know? Absolutely. But I will say that it was ethereal
1: putting the meditation on my surround sound speakers and kind of just, it kind of felt like a sound bath. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah. I definitely recommend it to anybody. If you, if you've got some, I guess I, I believe they're paid sessions now. They were free for the first couple months of uh the summer of 2020. Right. Yeah, they were.
0: Um but you know, museums need our support. <laughs> they've uh they've been hit pretty, pretty hard uh this past year. Um but yeah, uh let's see. Actually, I, I one more question. Uh I guess before we meditate. Um the mantra now, I know you can't tell me your mantra. Um, but are the mantras Well, I guess you only know your mantra, but is it is it one syllable or two syllables? Um, can you tell me how many syllables it is? Uh, that's not a
1: requirement like for it to be like monosyllabic or multiple syllables. It's the whole purpose of it is so that it just doesn't make sense to you. <laughs>
0: So, all right, well, let's, uh, why don't we meditate? Um, So uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, why don't, you know, just, of course, as always, you're invited to join along. Um, I think today, uh, if it's all right with you, Kurt, um, for the meditation, the past podcast episodes, I've been doing the body scan a lot that I like to do, but I think uh, today I want to focus on the breath. And so for this meditation, uh, you want to make sure that you're sitting down, uh, again, if you want to sit in a chair, uh, Kurt and I are both pro chair when it comes to meditation. So that is a, okay. (laughs) I would just make sure that you, um, put your feet firmly on the ground while you meditate. Um, and of course, if you want to sit down and, uh, you know, have your legs crossed, that's great way to meditate too. So really the instructions for this meditation are that we're going to be watching the breath, uh, just watching the breath's natural movement, uh, in and out. And there's no special way to breathe. You know, you don't have to, you know, take in big inhales and big exhales, just watching your breath, uh, in its natural state. And when you're watching the breath, uh, really the whole point is to catch yourself when you're distracted. So when once you notice that you are distracted and you're no longer watching the breath, you recognize that and then you bring your awareness back to the breath. And don't worry, uh, I promise you, you will get distracted. <laughs> so <laughs> once you are distracted, don't beat yourself up about it really just notice that you've been distracted, and without judgment, place the awareness back on the breath. And uh, well, so we'll do about 10 minutes of meditation. Um, and I think we are all set. Uh, Kurt, you ready to go? I'm ready. Cool. All right. Once we hear the bell, we will begin. So now we will place our awareness on our breath, just noticing the natural movements of the breath as it flows in and out of the body. There's no need to change anything about your breathing. Just notice it. And if a thought or feeling arises, And you're no longer watching your breath. That is truly okay. Just recognize that you have been distracted. Place the awareness back on the breath. And if memories from the past or plans for the future arise and grab your attention, just recognize that you have been distracted and place the awareness back on the breath. if you recognize that you are no longer watching your breath, that is truly okay. Just recognize that you've been distracted and place your awareness back on the breath. distract you, just recognize that you've been distracted and bring the awareness back to the breath. And if you're no longer watching your breath, that is truly okay. Just recognize that you've been distracted and bring the awareness back to the breath. Just a moment, I will ring the bell, ending our meditation session. Once I ring the bell, I invite you to join me in a bow, dedicating all the merit that we've accrued today to the benefit of all sentient beings. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you there, Kurt? I'm there. <laughs> okay. Here. Cool, cool. We uh, we were having some technical difficulties that uh, going to have a lot of fun editing around. Um, <laughs> but uh, how how was that uh for you?
1: That was great. Um, I'm really happy I did this, Jeremy. Yesterday I had a full blown panic attack and I almost quit my job. I, oh, I even, man. you know. Thought about quitting streaming altogether. You know, I think um, a lot of what was affecting everybody last year is, I think, finally getting to me now, where I kind of had to put on this tough face and facade and give people good vibes while I'm on the stream. And um, I just don't know if I'm capable of doing that like regularly, like every single week because. You know there are these days where you know I feel powerless and you know my insecurities get the best of me and and that's the best thing about streaming too about like the audiences is that like they don't really care like if you need to take a day off you know because like they're gonna be doing whatever they need to do anyway but yeah just a quick shout out to all my viewers out there who offered me support during a really troubling day yesterday um. But yeah, like this this um
0: this session was really helpful. Um that's awesome, man. And uh I I feel you dude, (laughs) like uh you know, I'm just starting out with this podcast, but you know, before I really started out, I mean I had the idea for a long time and I was coming out of kind of like a pretty uh deep depression and you know like thinking Mm -hmm. about doing this podcast and just being like oh god you know like committing you know committing myself to like doing it every week and like promoting it and all that stuff like got so overwhelming for a moment that like yeah I was Mm -hmm. like I don't even know if I want to do this um so I think yeah I just think of it's okay to have those moments you know right right um i too i mean like when i when i think about meditation and i know for me for years you know i would meditate for like you know every day for like you know six weeks and then like i wouldn't meditate and or like i miss a day and then it would just throw me off and i wouldn't meditate again for like another year um i've just come to realize you know like yeah, if you miss a day, it's not that big of a deal, you know, but just get on the horse the next day, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, so I try to apply that with a lot of things, too, because I feel like I get going and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm this is great. I'm really good at this. I'm going to see it through to the end and then I like, get a snag and then I just like stop and I'm mm-hmm. like, nah, you know, so just yeah, sometimes you just got to fight through that. A little bit but you gotta you know (laughs) you gotta push through it but you also gotta like be kind with yourself and like you know i think that's that's awesome that you like had the awareness to be like i'm not feeling great i don't think i can do a live stream tonight you know Mm -hmm. like that's that in itself is a victory i think and uh you know just just being aware of not pushing yourself so um thanks for sharing that because again i think It's, that's something certainly that I, I very much relate to. And I think that a lot of people listening will relate to, so you're not on your own, man. Yeah, (laughs) We're all of this together, but I guess just really quickly, I mean, we've talked, of course, you know, you got your Twitch, um, Courtney, Kurt, Courtney love, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, but I guess can you just give us a quick rundown of like what type of uh content you offer on your Twitch?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a variety streamer and normally when you say you're a variety streamer on Twitch it means oh, you play all types of video games. But I'm a variety streamer in in the sense of the content that I produce. Um I love to invite people onto my stream to have conversations and treat it like a radio show, any opportunity I can get. Um, My schedule is Tuesdays and Thursdays. I go live at 10 a.m. Central Time and 7 p.m. Central Time. Um, On Thursday nights, you can watch uh, a talk show on Nerd Ephemera. Um, We try to promote intersectional discourse. I'm joined by Rivka Yecker um, and Tobias Doss, Um, and we love to you know, invite different, uh, creatives onto the show. Um, and yeah, you know, sometimes I'll do RPGs in terms of video games. Um, I tend to do like the lighthearted stuff towards the morning cause it is like waking up. I have a lot of people that are in specific standard time. So it's like 8am for them. So, you know, them waking up to animal crossing or like some nice puzzle games is actually very refreshing. So Um, I tend to keep all of the mature RPG-related content to the nighttime. Mm -hmm. Um, I also invite musicians to come on the show. Um, I've had some fantastic musicians like Hotels on Mars, Ark of the Hunter, um, and those have been fantastic. And yeah, if anyone's interested in seeing some of those past sessions, they could follow me on Twitch. Uh, That's at Love, K-U-R-T-N-E-Y-L-U-V and you can also check me out on youtube uh i'm under kurt santana but if you look under um braving new worlds uh nerd gaze you should those should be the top results actually i'm very quite impressed with that uh with my seo <laughs>
0: <laughs> hell yeah um that's awesome and you know for those of you listening of course you know I'll be sure to include all those links, uh, in the description below. Uh, so you can find, uh, Kurt really easily. And, uh, yeah, again, I just want to say thank you so much, uh, Kurt for being here. I thought, you know, this is a great, great episode, great conversation. Uh, despite our technical difficulties, <laughs> um, despite the internet gods, uh, you know, displaying their wrath towards us. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, everybody out there, uh, this is uh, Jeremy Jeremy McMindfulness, and I just want to again thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for practicing with with us today, and uh, we'll catch you next time. All right, see ya. See ya. This has been another episode of Meditating with Friends. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out my Instagram at JeremyMcMindfulness.